Welcome to Royally Screwed, my name is Chris Shearer, and it's my honor to take you on a tour through some of history's greatest, worst, and craziest rulers. On this week's episode, it's the history behind the religious figure known as the Dalai Lama, the spiritual leader of the Gelug, aka Yellow Hat, school of Tibetan Buddhism. The position of the Dalai Lama has a long and fraught history, as does the region the religious leader hails from. In the year 2023, we are currently on the 14th incarnation of the Dalai Lama. We'll definitely get more into what it actually means to be a Dalai Lama later, but it's a very interesting story dealing with Buddhist ideas of reincarnation and Buddhahood. Today, we often think of the Dalai Lama as one of the major spiritual leaders of the world. You know, him and the Pope kinda cornered the market on being able to just go around and tell people how they're supposed to live good and honest lives. It probably helps that there are some unhealthy stereotypes of Buddhists being solely peaceful individuals. But Chris, isn't that a good thing to be thought of? Why is that bad? And stereotypes like that can be used as a defense for when people in that group actually do something bad. Anyways, this was very much not the case for most of history. In fact, the very beginnings of the Dalai Lama, well, when the term was first coined to be used as a title, I mean, well, when the first person was bestowed the title Dalai Lama, it was actually in the hopes of using that position to give a conqueror legitimacy over China. If you keep up with recent stories about the Dalai Lama, maybe that's not actually too far off from a possible future anyways. But we're not here to talk about the present. We're here to talk about the history of the Dalai Lama, at least the first few people to be given the title. The story of the Dalai Lama is also the story of the medieval history of Tibet, no surprise there. Clearly, there's a lot that needs to be explained before we even start getting into the episode proper. So, without further ado, let's begin the story. We're going back in time to medieval Tibet around the 15th century in The Many Lives of Avalokiteshvara. Let's start the background history lesson with a brief look at the region of Tibet. In case you don't know, it's a mountainous region that is located in East Central Asia. On paper, the region is located entirely within the nation of China. However, areas of influence as well as areas with a large number of Tibetan exiles exist in India, Nepal, and Bhutan. Besides the Dalai Lama and Buddhism, Tibetan is most well known for being the home to the Himalayan mountain range the mountain range containing Mount Everest. Like most places on Earth, people have lived in Tibet since prehistoric times. We can now fast forward to the late 6th century CE. The kings of the Yarlung dynasty had ruled for some time around the region of Lhasa, the modern-day capital of the region of Tibet, though most of the kings listed among their rulers are considered mythical rather than historical. In the 7th century, the Yarlung had expanded their power enough to be considered the Tibetan Empire. They were recognized by China after the emperor sent envoys to the Chinese capital. Buddhism was also said to be introduced to the region during this era, traditionally dated to the reign of Tibetan Emperor Tsongsen Gampo, possibly via his wife who was a princess from Nepal. Fast forward a bit more to the 13th century. A certain warlord by the name of Genghis Khan was currently rip-roaring through China. In the 1220s, a group of missionaries from Tibet was traveling near the border between Tibet and the western Shia dynasty of China. 
During their travels, they were possibly taken captive by the Mongolian army. They were allowed to stand before Genghis Khan, thus marking the first interaction between Tibet and the Mongol Empire, but it would be far from the last. In the 1240s, the Mongolians invaded Tibet and conquered the region. By this point, Genghis Khan was already dead. In the 1270s, the Mongolian Empire had split apart. The faction remaining in China, under the control of Genghis Khan's grandson Kublai Khan, became the Yuan Dynasty. Under the Yuan Dynasty, Tibet was overseen by the Bureau of Buddhist and Tibetan Affairs. Tibet was giving quite a bit more leeway than most other regions of Kublai Khan's empire. Most day-to-day -day activities were overseen by the Tibetan people. However, the shadow of the Yuan Dynasty was always hovering over them ready to forcefully intervene should things not go their way. Eventually, the Yuan Dynasty was overthrown in Tibet, and several shorter-lived dynasties ruled over the course of the next few centuries. As I mentioned before, Buddhism was brought to Tibet during the early days of the Tibetan Empire in the 7th century. We definitely don't have enough time to do a proper dive into Buddhism here. Very quickly, it's a religion based on the teachings and philosophies of the Buddha, aka Siddhartha Gautama, who lived in the 6th or 5th century BCE. The goal of Buddhism is to reach enlightenment and escape the cycle of reincarnation so that you may also become a Buddha. Tibetan Buddhism is, surprise surprise, a number of schools of Buddhist thought practice in Tibet. However, because of Tibet's history with the Mongol Empire, it's also commonly practiced in Mongolia as well as parts of India, Nepal, and Bhutan. Religious leaders in Tibetan Buddhism are known as Lamas or Gurus. The Dalai Lama is a spiritual leader in the Gelug school of Tibetan Buddhism. It was founded by the Buddhist monk Jay Tsongkhapa in 1409. Funnily enough, the Dalai Lama is not the actual leader of the Gelug school. That honor belongs to the position known as the Ganden Tripa. However, the Dalai Lama, especially more recently, often publicly confirms the appointment of a new Ganden Tripa. Over the centuries since its founding, the Gelug school grew in prominence until it was eventually the actual government of Tibet until the 1950s. The history of the Dalai Lama is linked with the school, almost since the inception of the latter. However, the alleged history of the Dalai Lama stretches back further than that. So, let's quickly take a look into the world of Buddhist theology as we learn about a figure named Avalokiteshvara. In many schools of Buddhism, there is the concept of the Bodhisattva. Bodhisattva are individuals who have achieved enlightenment and are ready to escape from the cycle of rebirth, known in many Eastern Asian religions as Samsara. However, these individuals forego becoming a Buddha in order to stay close to the mortal world in order to help those who are still within the cycle of samsara. Sometimes the word bodhisattva is wrongly interpreted as a Buddhist god. That's not entirely right, though it's easy for cultures that actually do have gods in their local religions to interpret bodhisattva in this way. After all, they are effectively immortal and have superhuman powers. They are also worshipped to varying degrees depending on which form of Buddhism you practice. Avalokiteshvara is a bodhisattva. More or less, he might as well be the most important bodhisattva. 
According to tradition, the Buddhist disciple that became the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara decided he would not ascend to Buddhahood until he had helped every mortal who would ever exist escape the cycle of samsara. He is worshipped in many different forms in many countries. In China, he is mostly worshipped under the name Guanyin, where he is actually a female Bodhisattva. Guanyin features in the very popular Chinese story Journey to the West, where she helps out the main group of adventurers multiple times as they travel from China to India. One of Avalokiteshvara's main functions in Buddhism is watching over the world during the interim period between the life of the original Buddha, Siddhartha Gautama, and the coming of the Maitreya Buddha. The Maitreya Buddha is a figure who will come at some future point and reinstate the rule of Dharma upon the world. Dharma exists in many Asian religions like Hinduism and Sikhism, but it means slightly different things for each one. In Buddhism, Dharma more or less refers to the teachings of the Buddha, but it also means something similar to the cosmic truth. When the Bodhisattva that will become the Maitreya Buddha comes, the world will essentially reach enlightenment. But in the meantime, Avalokiteshvara is around making sure humans don't get completely bogged down in the cycle of samsara. However, Avalokiteshvara, as I said before, has many different forms he is able to take. Not all of these are as an actual celestial being with godlike powers. In Tibetan Buddhism, specifically Gelug Buddhism, it's said that Avalokiteshvara incarnated himself on earth as a mortal being who would lead the devoted. And I'm sure by now you've guessed that this figure is said to be none other than the Dalai Lama. And it's not just the first Dalai Lama, but every single Dalai Lama in history is said to be the next reincarnation of the Bodhisattva. Gendon Drup, the man who would eventually become known as the first Dalai Lama, was born in a barn in 1391. Also, Gendon Drup was his monastic name. At birth, he was named Pema Dorje. His parents were of a nomadic people, and until the age of seven, Gendon Drup lived as a shepherd. It should be noted up front that during his own lifetime, Gendon was never called the Dalai Lama. He would not be referred to by that title until over a century after his death. After the death of his father in 1391, Gendon was sent by his mother to live with an uncle at the Narthong Monastery. The Narthong Monastery was an important location for the Kadam school of Tibetan Buddhism. It was also one of the oldest and largest printing centers in Tibet. After studying Buddhist scriptures for several years, in 1405, Pema Dorje took his first vows to become a monk within the Kadam school. When he was around 20 years old in 1411, he took his vows as a monk and received the monastic name Gendon Drup. It only took him 12 years to pass the 12 grades of monkhood within his monastery. I could not find how long it's usually supposed to take, but apparently 12 years was very quick. Soon enough, his life was changed when he met the monk Jade Tsongkhapa, the founder of the Gelug school. Gendon chose to switch over to Tsongkhapa's new school, where he quickly rose in the ranks as a devout follower of the faith. After the death of Tsongkhapa and his successor, Gendon Drup was chosen as the next leader of the Gelug school. He was promoted to abbot of the Drepung Monastery, the largest of all the Buddhist monasteries in Tibet. 
As the leader of the Gallag school, Gendun became even more invested in spreading the teachings of his former mentor. He was also able to keep a good relationship with local and nearby political leaders, such as the remaining Mongol rulers in the general region, as well as other Buddhist schools in Tibet. In 1447, he would go on to found the Tashi Lumpo Monastery, located near the city of Shigatse. This monastery is the seat of the Panchen Lama. The Panchen Lama is the second highest spiritual leader of the Gelug school. This Lama's role is to seek out the next reincarnation of the Dalai Lama after the previous incarnation has passed away. Like the Dalai Lama himself at this time in history, the Panchen Lama of the first few Dalai Lama would not be referred to by this title until many years later. It was not long before Gendun Drup was being held as the greatest Lama in all of Tibetan Buddhism. He was even given the title Panchen Gendun Drupa. That's the same Panchen as used in Panchen Lama and means great scholar. The leader of another Buddhist school of Indian and Tibetan orders granted Drup the title Tamche Kempa, meaning the omniscient one. This title would go on to be used by all future Dalai Lamas. By the time he was growing older and chose to spend more time in solitary meditation, the Gelug school had come to be perhaps the most preeminent Buddhist school in all of Tibet. The Karmakagyu school was very much not happy about this. They were tied to the Tsangpa dynasty, who would eventually go on to rule Tibet about a century later, which meant that the Tsangpa dynasty was against the allies of the Gelug school. Gendun left his solitary meditation and wrote a poem to his followers that urged them not to seek out a violent response to the aggressors. The poem is considered one of his greatest written works. However, I couldn't find whether or not this poem actually led to an end of the conflict. By the time he was in his early 80s, Gendun Drup was still teaching, even though it was said he could no longer walk. In 1474, Gendun decided he would go on one last tour to teach the lessons of the Gelug school. He returned to the Northang Monastery, the same place where he had gotten his start. He eventually returned to Tashi Lumpo, where he retired for the evening to meditate in peace. There's a story that says Gendun's body began glowing brilliantly as he meditated. Whether that's true or not, probably not, is unknown, but that night, Gindin Droop passed away. Legends also say that his body remained sitting upright in meditation for several days after his passing. It's believed that he had become a Buddha. However, should the purpose of the Dalai Lama be believed, Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara was about to be born again. Sangye Pel was born in 1475, the year after Gendun Drup passed away. His father was a layperson within the Nyingma school of Tibetan Buddhism. Like Gendun Drup, Sangye came from humble origins as his family were farmers. The legend of the second Dalai Lama says that almost as soon as young Sangye could talk, he told his parents that his real name was Pema Dorje, Gendun Drup's name at birth. A little bit later, he also told his parents that he wished to go to Tashi Lumpo to be among his monks. Allegedly, he could also quote esoteric scripture that a toddler should not have been able to have memorized. Now again, this is all just the legend behind the rise of the second Dalai Lama. 
When Sanye was able to go to Tashi Lumpo, he was able to greet many of the monks by name. Before he was 9 years old, there are sources differing between the ages of 4 to 8, the monks at the monastery recognized Sangye as the reincarnation of Gendin Drup. By age 12, he had been given the vows of a Buddhist monk and took the new name of Gedun Gyatso. That's Gedun with one N, while the first Dalai Lama was Gendun with two Ns. He was also given the position of abbot of the monastery. Within several years, Gedun Gyatso was teaching all over the Tsang region, the area of Tibet that included Tashi Lumpo and the city of Lhasa. Unfortunately, he was soon forced to leave the monastery over internal conflict. Some monks believed that the abbot should be chosen by election, as it had been before. The other side was in full favor of reincarnation. In order to settle the matter peacefully, Gedun left Tashi Lumpo to live at the Drepung Monastery, the same monastery where Gendun Drup had first been abbot. It was during his time studying at Drepun where the system of the Dalai Lama and the reincarnation cycle of the great monk would come to form, though the position was still not yet known as the Dalai Lama. In 1509, Gedun Gyatso decided to build a monastery near Lake Lamo Latso, also known as the Oracle Lake or the Spiritual Lake of the Goddess. The goddess in question there is Paldin Lamo, a Buddhist deity. And to clarify, yes, she is a Buddhist goddess, not a Buddha or Bodhisattva. According to legend, the previous Dalai Lama, Gendin Drup, had once visited the lake when Paldin Lamo visited him and promised to protect the line of his future incarnations. Lake Lama Latso would come to be used by future Dalai Lamas to meditate on what to do about their next reincarnations. It is also used by other Buddhist Lamas to find the next Dalai Lama. In order to recognize the significance of this lake, Gedun Gyatso founded the Korkilgyel Monastery, though the monastery itself is about a 4 hour hike away from the lake itself, so close enough I guess. And obviously, Gedun was chosen as the abbot for this new monastery. By 1525, Gedun had been recognized as the greatest living Buddhist monk and had been given the role of abbot in three other monasteries. He was eventually invited to come back to Tashi Lumpo as their abbot, and he was also abbot of Drepun and the Sera Monastery. The apartment made for him at Drepun Monastery would be the main home of the Dalai Lama until the time of the fifth Dalai Lama. Gedun traveled far and wide across Tibet and even had enough influence to attract disciples from neighboring nations. Like his predecessor, the second Dalai Lama passed away during meditation in the year 1542. And thus, the cycle of rebirth would begin again. Before we talk about the third Dalai Lama, we're taking what might seem like a far step away in order to talk about the Mongolian chief Alten Khan. Alten, also known by the name Anda, was a distant direct descendant of Genghis Khan. His great-grandfather had been able to reunite the Mongolian house of Borjigin, the house of Genghis Khan, after the end of the Yuan dynasty, the dynasty of China founded by Kublai Khan. Alongside his brother, Alton ruled over the right wing of the Mongolian people, meaning the Western Mongolian tribes. His brother died in 1542, leaving Alton as the sole leader of the right wing. 
Five years later, Alton decided to take advantage of the death of Bodhi Alig Khan, the leader of the Chahar group of Mongolian tribes. The Chahar mostly lived in what is now the Inner Mongolian Autonomous Region of northeastern China. Alton forced out Bodhi Alig Khan's successor and took control of the Chahar. This meant that he now held dominion over lands right up to the northeastern border of the Ming Dynasty in China. In fact, in 1550, he would lead his army over the Great Wall of China and make his way all the way to the capital city of Beijing before being forced to turn back. Granted, Beijing isn't too far past the Great Wall, but it's still impressive enough. Also around this time, he founded the city of Kokekota, now known as Hohot. This city is today the capital city for the Inner Mongolian Autonomous Region. He set up a government around this city that was heavily influenced by the Chinese government of that era. In 1557, he started the construction of a Buddhist temple that would help grow the city. This will be important later. By 1571, Alton's government was in full swing and he was finally able to secure a peace treaty with the Ming Dynasty that allowed him to secure further trading rights. He was even granted the title Shun Yi Wang, meaning Obedient and Righteous Prince. His dominion also had expanded after getting control of the Kalkham Mongol tribes further north in northern Mongolian and south central Russia. By this point in his life, Alton had become incredibly interested in Tibetan Buddhism, particularly the Gelug school. Dignitaries from the Ming Dynasty were more than happy to provide Alton with resources that helped him learn more about the school, but this was not enough for the Khan. He wanted to meet the man in charge of the Gelug school, the supposed greatest Lama in the entire world, Sonam Gyatso the supposed third reincarnation of Avalokiteshvara. Unlike the first two Dalai Lama, the future Sonam Gyatso was born into Tibetan nobility in 1543. He was born in Tolung near Lhasa, which was allegedly the location where Gedun Gyatso had prophesied his next incarnation would be born. Just like his predecessor, this child supposedly was able to call upon events from his previous life and called himself Gedun Gyatso. By the age of nine, he had been taken in by the Gedlug school and installed as the abbot of the Drepung Monastery. At the age of 16, he was brought to the court of a Tibetan king, a man almost 50 years Sonam's senior, and the king asked the Dalai Lama to be his personal teacher. Five years later, when that king passed away, Sonam presided over the funeral, despite the fact that the king had actually been devoted to a different school of Tibetan Buddhism. Clearly, Sonam Gyatso was cut out for greatness. He was even able to mediate disagreements between different schools of Tibetan Buddhism. In 1565, Sonam finished taking his vows as a Buddhist monk despite the fact that he was now the abbot of both Drepung and the Sera Monastery. This meant he was now required to travel across Tibet and spread the teachings of the Gelug school. In 1569, he ended up at Tashi Lumbo where the monks requested he serve as abbot there. But Sonam denied their request, instead installing one of his deputy monks as abbot in his place. In 1571, Sonam Gyatso received a life-changing request. It was a message from a distant ruler, Alton Kang of the Mongols. He was seeking spiritual salvation and was incredibly interested in the Gelug school. 
he was hoping to receive salvation at the hands of the modern incarnation of Avalokiteshvara. Well, Sonam refused Alton Kong's request to visit him up north. Two years later, Alton Khan would have several Buddhist missionaries taken captive. This still did nothing to sway the mind of Sanam Gyatso. Despite there seemingly being no other changes to the political or religious landscape, Sanam changed his mind when Alton Khan sent him another request to visit Mongolia in 1577. The Dalai Lama traveled about 1,500 miles, over 2,400 kilometers, from Tibet to Mongolia in order to meet with the Khan. At the site of their meeting, Alton Khan ordered for the construction of a Tibetan Buddhist monastery. This monastery, Tegshen Chongkor, was the first Tibetan Buddhist monastery within Mongolia proper. During their meeting, Alton Khan bestowed Sonam Gyatso with the title Dalai Lama. Obviously, the word Lama means a master of Tibetan Buddhism. The word Dalai is actually Mongolian and can mean either ocean or great. It was also the Mongolian translation of the name Gyatso. Usually when translated in English, people tend to use the ocean for some reason, but it basically means the great Buddhist master. In recognition of his supposed previous lives, Sonam Gyatso was proclaimed the third Dalai Lama. Gendin Drup and Gedun Gyatso were posthumously named the first and second Dalai Lamas. Another interesting thing happened during their meeting. As well as being the reincarnation of the previous two Dalai Lamas, Sonam Gyatso proclaimed himself to be the reincarnation of a man named Drogon Shogyal Pagpa, a Buddhist monk who had served alongside Kublai Khan and had established Tibet's autonomy under the Yuan dynasty. Likewise, he proclaimed that Alton Khan was the reincarnation of Kublai Khan, thereby making him the true heir to the lineage of Genghis Khan. This bond between the two would forever change both the system of the Dalai Lama and Mongolia. Alton Khan's followers quickly started following the ways of the Gelug school of Buddhism. In fact, Tibetan Buddhism is still the most widely practiced religion in all of Mongolia. Work was started to translate massive amounts of Tibetan texts into the Mongolian language, which would further help the spread of Buddhism. Alton Khan would pass away four years after meeting the Dalai Lama, but his son would continue his father's work of spreading Buddhism to the people of Mongolia. Sonam Gyatso would continue to go on to achieve more international acclaim in Eastern Asia. He was invited to the court of the Ming Emperor and even helped engage in border disputes between Mongolia and the Ming Dynasty. This was the first time a Dalai Lama had ever engaged in political powers such as this. He would travel back and forth from Tibet to Mongolia a few times, mostly to meet with Alton Khan's son and to teach them about the ways of the Gelug school. Sonam Gyatso died in 1588 after contracting an illness in Mongolia. He had been planning to meet with the Ming Emperor. He was only 45, making him the youngest of the first three Dalai Lamas to pass away. In a twist of fate, or maybe not, the next incarnation of Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara was proclaimed to be the great-grandson of Alten Khan. The fourth Dalai Lama, Yonten Gyatso, was the only non-Tibetan man ever selected to be the Dalai Lama. This obviously led to a lot of tension for the people of Tibet. 
It also didn't help that Yonten did not move to Tibet until he was nearly 10 years old and traveling with a retinue of Mongolian cavalry at that. His tenure as the Dalai Lama was short and full of conflict as not many Tibetans were willing to accept him as the Dalai Lama. Eventually, when he was just 26 years old, Yonten and some of his supporters were forced to flee to safety when the Kagyu school attacked Drepung Monastery. He died in 1617 at the age of 27 under mysterious circumstances, leading many to believe that the fourth Dalai Lama was killed, possibly by poison. He was the shortest reigning Dalai Lama, and as rough as that is to take in, that is actually a decent age for a Dalai Lama to have lived to. There are several Dalai Lama who lived later who didn't even make it to age 20. After Yontin Gyatso's death, his Panchen Lama went off to search for the Dalai Lama's next reincarnation. However, that's a story for a future episode. But for now, that's it for this week's episode of Royally Screwed. I hope you enjoyed the journey. Be sure to subscribe to the show, tell a friend, and follow the Denim Creek page on Twitter and Instagram for more info about each episode. Next time, we're looking into a figure whose historical life is shrouded in mystery but is very well documented within the Hebrew and Christian Bible. It's a look at the life of King David of Goliath's slang fame. Just how much do we actually know about this famous religious figure? Is there actually any history to study about him? I hope you'll join me then for another topsy-turvy look into history's most interesting rulers. Whoa, whoa, whoa.